We have been uh, looking on Wednesday nights for the past little while on some doctrinal issues. And so if you take your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And what I want to deal with tonight is something that is it's always been sort of popular and sort of been uh, an issue with many different kinds of Baptists. You know, Baptists are like dog breeds. There's a lot of them. And uh, I'm glad I'm an independent Baptist. I don't want any other moniker to be put on me. But nevertheless, there's a lot of Baptists that subscribe to a false system of theology. And I want to go through the Bible real quick. Maybe old hat to some of you, but you never know. Some of the things we've dealt with have really been necessary for people to take notes on. So we're going to go through why we are not Calvinists. Why we are not Calvinists. And when we say that, I've heard people say, well, I'm a one point, a two point, a five point. No, no, all that system of theology is just a circle. And if you've ever really studied it or understood it, if you believe one point, it just leads you to believe the rest of the points. And so there's, there, and there's also some misunderstanding of defining what things mean. But we want to look in the Bible and see uh, some principles to help guide us, whether it's about one false heresy or some other false doctrine, so that we'll be equipped. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll start reading in verse number 15, where the Apostle Paul says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet have you not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church." It is, you know, and this even goes back to Sunday. It is very important who you follow. Because when you follow an individual, you'll subscribe to their belief system. The Apostle Paul is even saying this. I want you to follow me, not just because I led you to Christ, because what I teach in every church, my ways are what you need to follow and believe. Now, how could he say that? He's not just asking him to be a, a man follower. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1, the Bible says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So, Bob Jones Sr. said, you can follow any man on the right road. (laughs) When he takes a turn off the right road, you don't follow him anymore. And the Apostle Paul said, follow me, because I'm following Jesus. And the things that I'm teaching you in the churches, you need to follow after that. So it's important who we identify ourselves with. And so the first thing I would say as we look at this study, just give you five points tonight. I'll be through at eight. The first point is, why are we not Calvinists? Number one, because we are not followers of John Calvin. That, 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 you know, that should be an easy thing. Why would anybody call themselves after anybody else's name? I wouldn't call myself after anybody else's name. Amen. I'm not even a Loganite. 
No. You, you, you see the fallacy with that? I'm a Calvinist. You're a follower of John Calvin who was born in the 1500s and he was a reformer. And, you know, he wasn't a Baptist. By the way, when we call ourselves Baptists, we're not calling ourselves by a man's name. We're identifying with a certain theology, a certain system of belief. You see, that's, that's a big difference. I do want people to know I'm a Baptist because I want them to know that I don't believe in work salvation. And I want them to know that I don't believe in baby baptism. And I want them to know that I believe in salvation by grace through faith. There's a whole lot of reasons I want people to know that I'm a Baptist. And I think it's a shame that somebody would want to identify with Baptist theology but not, but, but not, and, and, and be ashamed to be called a Baptist. That's getting popular. Well, let's just take Baptist off the churches and just call ourselves Christian. Well, that don't mean anything. You call yourselves a Baptist, you identify with certain historic doctrines. There's a reason for that. So people don't have to guess when they drive by what we are. If we say we're the grove, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. You understand? You go by a Baptist church, and it does mean something. It may not mean what it used to mean, but it still has an identification with certain beliefs. Now, I am not, and why any Baptist would want to identify themselves with John Calvin, I don't know. Why would anybody call himself a Calvinist? John Calvin was a reformer. He reformed things out of the Roman Catholic Church, like Martin Luther. He was from France, and then moved to Geneva. He was a great reformer in some sense of the word, but he also still held to a lot of Roman Catholic doctrine even after the Reformation. If there's one thing a Baptist should never identify with, it's anybody that would identify with Roman Catholic doctrines. You say, well, you got, you got these popular preachers, and some of them are smart, you know, and you know John MacArthur and other Reformed theologians and you know, Spurgeon was a Calvinist, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, the truth is, I'm not going to identify with anybody that believes the following. This is facts. You can get Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion and read it for yourself. I've done that. John Calvin, number one, believed in baptismal regeneration. Did you hear what I just said? He believed that water baptism had a part in your regeneration, in God giving you life. That's a heresy. That's the same heresy of the Church of Christ. That's the, same, that's the same heresy of the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church that water makes you a Christian. Water makes you wet. He didn't believe that. Why would I identify myself with somebody that believed in baptismal re- I don't know any Baptist that should do that. He also believed in pedo-baptism. That, I can hear Dr. Seitler say that we're not pedo-baptists. That's just a fancy word that says we don't believe in baby baptism. It's, it's heathen. It's not right. John Calvin was a baby baptizer. He believed in that. Number three, he also believed that the Lord's Supper was a sacrament. The Lord's Supper is not a sacrament. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance. You see, anytime you get outside of the Bible, you get messed up. Of course, you know the Catholic Church has, you know, the seven sacraments. And if you do all those, then God will let you into heaven. That's, that's it's a heresy. 
That's wrong. The Lord's Supper is not a sacrament. It's an ordinance. It's a remembrance. John Calvin, number four, was an amillennialist. He did not believe in the literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not believe in the literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus on this earth. And so those are things that Baptists shouldn't identify with, or Bible-believing Christians, I should say. Number five, he believed that a visible church was required for salvation. He was a great proponent that if you're not a part of a visible church, that then, then you're not saved. You know, that doesn't help John on the Isle of Patmos very much. (laughs) I believe in the visible local church. I believe in that. I believe if you're not in a visible local church, you're not right with God. I, I believe that God tells us to assemble together. I believe it's a priority for the Christian life, but it has nothing to do with making you a Christian. It doesn't make you saved. John Calvin also was a murderer. And he murdered somebody that believed a lot of what I believe. In, on October 27th, 1553, he, he had Servetus burned at the stake. Servetus uh, hated infant baptism. Servetus rejected Calvin's predestination theory. Servetus was premillennial. Now, he, he wasn't a Baptist. He, he probably had some strange beliefs that I, I wouldn't espouse. But what I'm saying is he burned this man at the stake because he didn't agree with his doctrine. You know what? Look, I've got real strong opinions about sin. I've got real strong opinions about heresy. But I don't believe in burning anybody at the stake that doesn't agree with me. You've got to be way out there to be like that. You, you have got your testaments mixed up. So what I'm saying is, we are not Calvinists because we would not be followers of John Calvin. And we, we wouldn't be called by his name, nor by his theology. You say, well, why did some good men do that? You know, the Bible says, and you need to always remember this. The Bible says this, great men are not always wise. That doesn't mean they're not great men. We have a tendency to write everybody off. We find one fault of theirs, and so we say, well, everything about them is... Look, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great preacher. He really did a lot of great things. He had some great sermons. I read his sermons, I've told you before, and I feel like turning in my ordination papers. I really do. I feel like, man, what am... I can't, I can't even start to preach reading these guys' sermons. And he was a great preacher, but just because he's a great preacher and he was used by the Lord doesn't mean he's always right. There were several things he didn't wasn't right. But I'm not going to get into them because I'm not talking about Charles Spurgeon. But I'm saying in Charles Spurgeon's day, this is what they thought. You were either the Calvinist or you were an Arminian. Now, an Arminian believes that you lost your salvation. You just get it back and forth and, you, you know, you, you... Well, I don't... I'm, I'm not an Arminian, but I'm not a Calvinist. But back in that day, they, they felt like they had to say they were one or the other. That's a terrible thing. Don't ever let anybody paint you in a corner and tell you what you believe. Just say, I believe the Bible. And of course, we live in a better day that we can do that. But so number one, I'm not a Calvinist because I'm not a follower of John Calvin. Number two, uh, go to Hebrews chapter two. We'll start there. We are not Calvinists because we do not believe Jesus only died for some people. Okay. 
Calvinism is a belief in limited atonement. That means that the blood of Christ wasn't shed for, for everyone. It wasn't efficacious or good for all. It's just good for the elect, those that he chose. Because in the reasoning of the Calvinist, they said if Jesus died, shed his blood for people that would not get saved, his blood would be wasted. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse number 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. You know, that ought to be enough, but, you know, it's just never enough. And the good thing about the Bible is you don't have just one verse that you stand on our beliefs. It's all through the Bible. Now, usually when I teach a course in the Bible Institute or something on Calvinism, it'll be like, it'll be about six hours, but we're not going to do that. But let me just run you through some references in the Bible that show that Jesus died for all besides that verse. First John chapter two, first John chapter two. The Bible says in verse number 2 of 1 John chapter 2, we preached on this when we went through the book. And these are verses, guys, every one of us is Christians. You ought to have these verses in your head. You ought to have them in your heart. And uh, you, you, should, you don't need a, your preacher or, or, or somebody else or your Sunday school teacher to go turn these verses. These are verses you can have on your heart and your mind and your lips to, to tell other people, to show them what, what you believe. 1 John 2, 2, and he, that's Jesus, verse 1, is a propitiation. That's a payment that satisfies for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two, the Bible says in verse number one. Second Peter chapter two, verse one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. So here are false prophets and false teachers that are on their way to hell, and the Bible says that the Lord bought them too. He bought and paid for them. And the damnable heresy is denying that the Lord bought people. He bought and paid for, the, for all of us. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can just jot these down. We'll read them, go through them quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're not Calvinists because we do not believe Jesus only died for some people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live in themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. How can you misunderstand he died for all? How can you misunderstand that? And you see, here's the thing. These people that believe Calvinism, believe in limit atonement, they're not dummies. They pride themselves being some of the smartest uh, scholastic theologians of the seminaries, but but you know what they can't get by? They can't get by the simple English. Don't tell me what the Bible means. Tell me what it says. Never get away from that. The Bible is a simple book. If you've got a sixth grade education, you can get it. 
that he died for all. First Peter chapter, or excuse me, First Timothy chapter two. One more with that. Any one of these verses is sufficient. First Timothy chapter two, the Bible says, verse three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Well, what about that? And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. All means all. And I'm glad because that means I can get in. And so that leads me to the third reason we're not Calvinists. Because in order to prop all of this up, they also believe that God Almighty chooses some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. It's called unconditional election. So the third third reason we are not Calvinists is because we do not believe heaven and hell is God's choice. It's your choice. Not God's choice. Matter of fact, if you'd let him choose, you can jot down, of course, you know it, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not willing the, what is the sovereign will of God. Watch these people that use words that aren't in the Bible. Sovereignty of God. That's almost a catch word. And I'm not saying everybody uses that word as a Calvinist, but they love that word. <laughs> The sovereignty that God in heaven, He's up there and then He makes a choice. He chooses who will be saved. And He makes that choice based upon the fact that Jesus only died for some people, so those are the people is that He's chosen. But And that's not His will because the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is not that anybody go to hell. Somebody says, well, God's will has to be done. It ain't being done there. This is the amazing thing about Calvinists. They don't understand that people don't have to do the will of God. God's not going to make you do His will, let alone a sinner. I think sometimes people, they're practicing Calvinists. They think that God's just going to step in their way of their life and force them to do this, that, and the other for some. That's not the way God is. It's your choice. And so we do not believe that heaven and hell is God's choice. Because the Bible says, and over and over, Acts 10.34, Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, 2 Chronicles 19.7, God is no respecter of persons. So if God picked people from the foundation of the world who would go to heaven, that means He's a respecter of persons. That means He's, he's given you favor, not given somebody else favor. Just for no reason at all. Do you know why I really think people are Calvinists? Because I think they're proud. God picked me. I'm part of the chosen. No, the chosen is Jesus Christ. If you'll get in Him, you'll be a part of the chosen. He is the elect. If you'll get in Him, you'll be fine. If you don't get in Him, there's nothing about you or me that God would ever choose anyway. 
God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to choose some and not choose. And that's why you got this phrase in the Bible. Whosoever will. That blows up Calvinism in a moment. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Whosoever believeth. Whosoever. If you're a prostitute, if you're drunk, if you're black, if you're poor, if you're rich, if you're Chinese, don't matter. Whosoever believeth in him. That means we can all get in on it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever believeth Jesus is the Son of God, is born of God, John. Whosoever the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that, 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 that's a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. You know why this is a damnable doctrine? Because I've talked to people all my ministry, my life, that says, I don't think I can come to God. I, I, don't, think, I don't think God will accept me. It's a damnable doctrine. God won't accept any of us. He'll just accept Jesus. If we'll get to Jesus, it's not God's choice of certain people to go to heaven and hell. That word whosoever is 110 times in the New Testament. Whosoever. Thank God for it. And number four, this is important because some people are Calvinists and don't know it. Go to John chapter 6. Number four, we are not Calvinists because we do not believe God forces you to get saved. I'm not giving you these big, long theological terminologies. but That's irresistible grace. That God will just... You know, I met some people in the mountains of Virginia that believe that. and They, they, they never even heard of John Calvin. But they believed. I, I never get. I was, I was witnessing a man said, "You need to trust Christ. You need to get saved." He said, "Well, you know, preacher, I just believe that when God's ready and wants me to get saved, it'll get. It'll come on me." He was waiting on God to fall on him in such an experience that he would have to be converted. You'll wait a long time and go to hell like that. Well, I'm just waiting for the feeling. Go stick your finger in the socket. <laughs> go listen to a bunch of Gaither homecoming videos or something. I don't what has that got to do with it? I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. Jesus died for me. He paid the price for my sin. He offers me a free gift. Do I want it or do I want to go to hell? Waiting for God. I just feel like God will move on me and God will grab a hold of me and start. And when they don't ever feel that, then they won't ever get saved. Well, let's look at a little bit of confusion here. John chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 44. This verse is misquoted. We'll quote it right. John six forty four. No man can come to me. See there? See there? Everybody just can't come to Jesus. See there? It just said no man can come. Read the rest of the verse. And then keep reading the rest of the book. 
Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. All right, there it is. Well, usually they say the Holy Ghost, but that is not what that said. That said the Father. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. I believe in that. Well, let's see who, who, get, who got in on that. Just turn over chap, a few chapters. Chapter 12 of the same book. John chapter 12. I need this irresistible draw that I can't refuse. No, no. No, you, you misapplied a verse in the Bible. John chapter 12, the Bible says this in verse number 32. The same Jesus has said, John chapter, uh, uh, John chapter 6 said, John chapter 12. John 12, and this is after John 6, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw who? All men. Let me ask a question. Did they lift him up from the earth? Was he lifted up from the earth? That's what they did when they put him on the cross. What's he talking about? Verse 33 tells you. This he said signifying what death he should die. Jesus said this. If I, if I die, if I get put up on a tree, if I get suspended up there between heaven and earth, I'm going to draw all men to me. I'm not just going to draw a few. Everybody, I'm going to say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is the payment. This is finished. This is satisfied. Come to me. I'm the Savior. Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Not waiting on some irresistible draw. The book says in Titus 2.11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God doesn't just do that to a select group of people. But you see how that's mixed up in that theology. If Jesus only died for a certain number of people, and if a certain number of people are only ones that are chosen to be saved, then God has to send to do something special to make sure that they come. It's all messed up. Jesus says, come if you don't want to come. God's a perfect gentleman. God doesn't force himself on anybody. They say, well, when the Holy Ghost starts working in your life, you have to respond. It's not true. Go to Acts chapter 7. Well, if the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, you'll get saved. Well, the Holy Ghost gets a hold of a lot of people that go to hell. So explain that. And the Holy Ghost is not just going to pick and choose. The Holy Ghost deals with everybody. The Bible says that that the Lord lights every man that cometh into into the world. God's dealing with everybody. It's just a lot of people aren't listening. And you can sit in the same service with the same Holy Ghost message and the same Holy Ghost working in people's hearts. Guys, you know this in church. Not just with salvation, with lost people. You'll have one lost person here, another lost person here. This one will respond to the message and the same power of God and the same service. And this one just let water off a duck's back. You say, what's the difference? Well, God just got a hold. No, God was all over the place. It's that one person said no to God. That's the difference. You say, well, if the Holy Ghost... God, God, the Holy Ghost isn't going to drag you to heaven against your will. How do I know that? Acts chapter 7. I appreciate the ministry of the Holy Ghost in the reproof and the uh, 
of, of, of our sin and instruction and speaking to our heart. But the difference is the same Holy Ghost that speaks to one heart speaks to another heart. But this heart will not say yes. This heart will not agree with God. You say, well, if, if somebody just gets convicted, they'll automatically get saved. No, that's not true. And we find that in Acts chapter 7. Here a Holy Ghost-filled preacher, Stephen, is preaching. And the Bible says he's preaching in verse 51. He says this in Acts seven fifty-one: Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, watch it, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did so. You see what's happening? The Holy Ghost is trying to work in their hearts. and But they're resisting Him. Calvinism does not believe you can resist the Holy Ghost. But you can. Look at verse, uh, verse 54. Here's the conviction. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You know what that is? <laughs> but what happened? They gnashed on Him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is all in this. The power of God is everywhere. They're cut to the heart. He's worked. But you know what they're saying? They didn't get saved. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They rejected God. They rejected the message. So, so don't put that off on God. We're not Calvinists. It takes a willing sinner to get saved. It does. And we don't believe God forces you to get saved. He won't force you to do anything. I mean, guys, we've had God, we've had the Holy Ghost work in our invitations. And we've had people, God's people, really sensitive and respond. And we have some people that will stay in the service like a knot on a log. And, and the same service where somebody cried tears of uh, repentance and joy and fellowship with God. And, and in the same service, somebody else will walk out with a mad, bitter heart and spirit. How is that possible? It has to do with each person's heart. It doesn't have to do with God. It has to do with our hearts. And guys, God is not going to force us to do right. He's not going to force our kids to do right. It's a matter of our own hearts. And that's why we need to get our hearts right with God. And that's why we need to be tender-hearted. Because it doesn't matter what the Holy Ghost says. It doesn't matter if Jesus Christ was here in the flesh preaching to you and you felt goosebumps all the way up and down your spine through the power of God. If you don't have the right heart, you'd sit there and not do a thing with it. You know how I know that? That's what they did when Jesus was here. The greatest preacher that ever preached a message. And they walked away and went the other way. So we're not Calvinists, number one, because we're not followers of John Calvin, because we do not believe Jesus only died for some people, because we don't believe heaven and hell is God's choice, because we don't believe God forces you to get saved. And lastly, and I'm finished, i got five minutes, because we do believe in the Great Commission. Now this is what I would say. If Calvinism is true, why should I witness what are the flags for? Why do we make appeal to give and sacrifice our money to send missionaries around the world 
if we believe in Calvinism because whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved anyway. And by the way, you know what I think? I think we have some practicing Calvinists in our church. Because we just think God is going to save whoever he's going to save, and I don't have to participate. I mean, what does it matter if you say you're a Calvinist and you don't get involved in getting the gospel around the world, or you say you're not a Calvinist and you don't get involved in the gospel around the world? It's the same animal. Not going to give my money. I'm not going to hold a sign. I'm not going to give a track. I'm not going to knock on doors. I'm not going to pray for missionaries. Well, you're a Calvinist. <laughs> or you're just backslidden. I do believe that one man's eternity depends on the voice of another. I do believe that. And what you'll see, Calvinist people that believe in Calvinism and churches that are Calvinistic, they are dead as 4 o'clock in the morning. Because what does any of this matter if everything, if everything is inevitable? I have no responsibility. That's why it's popular. God's going to do it all. I heard a Calvinist preacher preach one time and he said, he said, you know what you need to do with Christian life? You just need to rest in the Lord. He was preaching in the Independent Baptist Preachers Meeting. There's a, there was probably 800 people there. He said, you know what, guys? Y'all just need to rest in Jesus. You know what You know what God wants you to do? This is what he wants you to do. Watch my finger. And he never moved his finger. You know what he was? He was a Calvinist. He didn't believe he had to do anything. Just trust it all to God. No, that's Calvinism. And we do have responsibilities. It's called the Great Commission. He did tell us to go into all the world. He did command us to be witnesses. We do have a responsibility. Because people's eternity does depend upon what we do or not do. So we're not Calvinists that just, you know, they enjoy expounding on the grace of God. And they say, I have no burden why should I have a burden for lost people if God chose them to go to hell anyway? You, you see the fallacy? And if they're going to go to heaven? So living off the head knowledge of the Bible, which never moves the Calvinist to do anything, will be the death of a church and the death of trying to go after souls and the death of your own Christian life. Oh, God will take care of it. No, no. Try that with your marriage and your kids. Do we believe God is in control? Yes, we believe God is in control. But I don't believe he's in control of everybody. I mean, he's ultimately, he's going to win. And at the end of the day, every knee is going to bow to Jesus. And it's, it's going to be how he wants it. But between now and then, there's a lot of water under the bridge. And there's a lot of responsibility for our own lives. We are not Calvinists. And let us not be practicing Calvinists. And that's not just in our money. It could be in our praying, guys. You know what I think about our praying sometimes? We think it don't matter if I pray or not because God's going to work it all out. That's not the testimony of the Scripture. Why should I have a burden to pray if God's going to work it all out anyway without my prayers? 
No, God's not a Calvinist either. 